Hey everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners, where we learn from anything and everything. Now you may be asking, why is Todd the one saying that? And that's because Caleb is not here for this part with the intro and the outro, and that's okay, because he was part of the conversation with our guest today that I am so excited to be able to share with you. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to just remind you of a couple things. Uh, the first thing being, hey, we have a Facebook group, and we would love for you to go ahead and join that. Um, it w- it's a place where you're going to be able to gather all sorts of information and be able to um, just see what's up, see what's going on, and, and be able to, to maybe take your experience of listening to the podcast to the next level. It's a place where we're going to give exclusive resources that you're not going to be able to find um, anywhere else. And also, we're going to do some cool stuff like do some webinars and host those in the Facebook group. That's going to be a place that you're going to want to check out. Don't miss that. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher and everywhere that you go to find your podcast audio experiences. Go there, find us, subscribe to the podcast. You can do that. It's totally free. But when you subscribe, it just means that you're never going to miss another one of our episodes. That's really important because who wouldn't want to listen to me be awesome and Caleb be awesome but slightly less awesome than than me? I love you, Caleb. Um, So just go do that because that means you'll never have to miss another episode. Finally, if we've brought you value, and I hope that we do, we create these things with the intention of of being able to, to bring you value. If we're bringing you value, the best thing that you could do is to leave us a rating and write a review. For one, it gives us feedback as to, to things that we could do to improve. But the other thing is, is that it actually helps us in the Apple Podcast ratings. It's a really simple way. It takes you less than two minutes just to write something down as a review and to give us um, a rating, preferably a five-star rating. That would be really, really awesome, and I would be thankful to you. Um, yeah. So those are some things just to be to, to be mindful of. But today we're having a great guest on. His name is Carmine Gallo, and uh, some of you may know Carmine for his involvement with TED, like the the TED Talk conferences. TED. Um, he wrote a book, Talk Like TED. He just did all sorts of of stuff like that. But he's a master whenever it comes to public communication. And he he gave us some time with him, and we were able to sit down and have a wonderful talk um, just about all of those things. Gave us some great practical advice. It was a lot of fun to do that uh, conversation, and so um, really excited to share that with you. Hey, I have something that I wanted to 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 give you, and it's a podcast that I think we've recommended it before, but it's just a great resource, and it's something that I go back to over and over and over again, and that's a podcast called The Launch University Podcast. Um, it's run by our friends Jeff Henderson and Kevin Jennings, and they are a great crew, and it's a, it's a spot where if you're a person who's a serial entrepreneur, somebody who's always trying to launch something new and, and build things, you're not going to want to miss that. Um, and the episode that, that, that I listened to recently that came out, um, I think two weeks ago now, the airing of this episode on, yeah, I think it was two weeks ago, but they were talking about networking and it was unbelievable. And so there's all sorts of stuff like that. They're always coming out with great content. Go and subscribe to that show. Leave them a rating and write a review as well. Um, it's called Launch University. Launch, like the word launch. And then university is spelled Y-O-U. 
um, and then Neversity. Ha. Um, so go and check that out. It'll be in the show notes. Caleb will take care of that because he's amazing. Um, but now let's get into our conversation with Carmine Gallo and hear all of the awesomeness that he has to share with us today. Well, Carmine, we are so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Well, thank you, Caleb and Todd. Thanks for inviting me. You know, just as we're getting started, one of the things that we were really curious about, especially with um, your work in communication and presentations and stuff like that, is what are what are some of your most recent favorite speeches or presentations that you've heard recently? Well, as you know, I wrote a book several years ago that is very popular in the public speaking world, and that's called Talk Like Ted, and it's about how to give a TED-style presentation. It's not so much about the TED conference, uh, so I don't want to confuse people. It's about how to give those TED-style presentations because they are really delivered by some magnificent speakers, and we can all go to the Internet and watch them for free, streamed. So I tend to gravitate toward those presentations at this point. I like, uh, and there are many that I, I've enjoyed, but if I want to give you a presentation that I think everyone can learn from, mm -hmm. uh, that is a presentation delivered by a human rights attorney named Brian Stevenson. And Brian Stevenson is also a best-selling author, and he is a an attorney who has won cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. He is very persuasive. His claim to fame is that he received Ted's longest standing ovation. And what's interesting, Caleb, is that Brian Stevenson's talk does not have slides. It's just him. It's just Stevenson for 18 minutes talking about what he does in prisons and, and in the community. What's interesting about it is that he's a real storyteller. And that's where I started going, moving more toward writing about storytelling, because I think storytelling, and we'll talk about this today, is a very underappreciated skill, and it's a, a powerful, persuasive tool. So Brian Stevenson is one of the most extraordinary storytellers that I know. So he blends story and data, story and information in a beautiful way to really capture not only your attention, but to grab your heart, too. And I've talked to him a couple of times. So if there's one presentation on TED Talks or TED.com that I think your listeners should watch, it's probably Brian Stevenson's. Mm -hmm. But of course, a lot of speeches I love, too. And I, uh, of course, I, I always go back to Steve Jobs's famous mm -hmm. Stanford commencement of 2005. Mm -hmm. um, it was well, well written. And it it was simple, but profound. And it, too, had three stories. So it was a real storytelling, very uh, narrative-based presentation or speech. And little known fact, uh, but this came out later, I think during the uh, Isaacson uh, book when he wrote about Steve Jobs, is that Steve Jobs wanted a famous screenwriter to help him with the speech. And the screenwriter said, no, it has to come from you. So it, it, was, it was an authentic speech, which is interesting. Imagine what, would have, what it would have been like had a, a speech writer or a screenwriter who doesn't know Steve that well have written it for him. Right? It, it would not have become uh, one of the best commencement speeches of all time. So I, I think that's an interesting angle to take on it as well. 
Why is it that you made a big deal? You made a big deal of the fact that um, the, the guy you were talking about before, Brian Stevenson, I think was his name. Yeah. Um, why, why was it such a big deal that he didn't use slides? I mean, I understand the storytelling aspect, but I think for, for so many people today, they're going, man, like, um, you know, the only way to do a good speech or, or to give a good talk or presentation would be to do it with slides. But why, why is that such a big deal for somebody to be able to do that without mm. using things like that? Uh, Todd, that's a good question. And I am, well, let's be very clear. For the vast majority of presentations, please use slides. <laughs> okay, I, I uh, because multimedia is a, a wonderful way to grab people's attention and to immerse them into your narrative. I use slides uh, when I give my keynote presentations. I, uh, I use a ton of slides, but they're not text heavy. They're not slides that have any bullet points. They're images that complement my story. Or I will cut to video using more multi-sensory elements. So presentations, most presentations, yes, should probably have some kind of visual complement. That's the way I look at slides. Not bullet points. We could talk about that. Use slides to complement the narrative. The reason why I point out some TED Talks is because people like Brian Stevenson can keep your attention through the power of story alone. But he's also very skilled. He gives hundreds of speeches every year, and he's very persuasive and a well-known uh, Supreme Court attorney who's argued before the, and won before the US Supreme Court. So he's very skilled at combining words and ideas. The average person, or even the, the great, the good speaker, should still use slides to complement the narrative. And if Brian Stevenson is giving a presentation, he's talking about very specific people, uh, I'd like to see those people. I'd like to see him speaking to certain individuals. Uh, he has a great story about Rosa Parks when he met Rosa Parks, civil rights leader. You know, So if there was an image of him meeting Rosa Parks, that just complements the narrative. So I'm not against slides at all. I think we don't, I don't think we have a PowerPoint problem. I think we have a creativity problem. Uh, people just don't use slides in, a, in the most creative way. Whether you use PowerPoint or Apple Keynote, which I tend to prefer because I, I just like it. It's a little, little more seamless. I enjoy a Prezi's. Prezi's are really uh, popular now among, uh, in education, uh, colleges, schools, and in uh, marketing and creative fields. And Prezi is a wonderful presentation tool. But again, I, I've seen all those tools use, used badly or used beautifully. Mm -hmm. So kind of on that subject of slides, and this will kind of lead into the next thing we want to talk about with um, your personal preparation process, but what might be uh, a couple of tips for creating good slides? You mentioned one by having like pictures of like a story that you're talking about. Are there any others that you might suggest? Yes. Don't start your presentation uh, design by opening your presentation. You know, don't start by opening PowerPoint. I think that's the best tip we can offer right now. Uh, again, getting back to that story, the narrative has to come first. What is my theme? What is the theme that cuts across this entire presentation? What examples or anecdotes am I going to use to complement that theme? How am I, how am I going to start it? How am I going to end it? What, what is a, a wow moment, a multi-sensory kind of moment that people are going to remember? Uh, then when you, after you craft the narrative, you realize that 
it would be it's very different than if he were to start by opening PowerPoint and filling in the template. That's not narrative. That's just filling in information and bullet points. You, do you see the difference? So I think the biggest point is don't start by opening PowerPoint. If you're going to give a great presentation, don't start by opening the presentation. Start, start on a whiteboard. Start on a scrap of paper, you know, old-fashioned pen and paper, uh, where you have to sketch things out and draw and, and try to figure out what is my narrative going to look like. Then the slides just complement your message. That's all they're, they do. It, it, don't use slides to replace the message. <laughs> You mentioned earlier about creativity and how there's a lack of creativity. Can you can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Because I think that that's really important. And, you know, Caleb and I, we we the, just the jobs that we do during during the week. You know, we see a lot of people giving a lot of talks, and I'm just curious about if you could dive in a little bit further with us about the creativity aspect, because I think we see this a lot with just cre lack of creativity being used, um, whether it's through the development process or in the delivering process. Yeah, I think the lack of creativity comes from stems from the fact that what we're talking about and I don't want to scare your listeners what we're talking about is hard it, this actually takes work it takes effort to make a presentation look or, or a conversation a, a mission critical speech or, or presentation or a pitch of some kind <clears throat> it takes uh, creativity and effort to make it look effortless. Mm -hmm. I recently, I, I wrote a book many years ago called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. And I learned a lot about how Apple and Steve Jobs designed these awe-inspiring presentations. Well, recently I also connected with a gentleman who was an engineer uh, for iPhone software. In fact, he's the guy who created the uh, the touch keypads on, you know on the iPhone so he created some important stuff that we all use every day and he told me that he was in on presentations with Steve Jobs it was the rehearsal process that was really fascinating to me it started weeks in advance before Steve Jobs gave an important presentation and he would go through it like a performer like a Broadway show with uh with drama and elements to it that made it come alive he would get up on a on a makeshift stage and perform it and then he would get out of character and ask for feedback and this engineer who i talked to said it was weird like it was weird to him because he's not a um you know creative type he was more engineering uh he was wondering why is it that steve jobs would be in one character and then he would go back to being normal to ask for feedback. And see, what, what that told me, guys, is that Steve Jobs was looking at it as a performance. A presentation was, was dramatic performance. Then he could step out of character. So he was actually putting on a role. That's creativity. That's work. It takes effort and practice um, and thinking about a presentation in a completely different way. Nothing is easier, Todd. You talked about this lack of creativity. Nothing is easier than to open a PowerPoint and start filling in bullet points. That's easy. Hmm. And that, that's why most presentations, I think, are very average. I think that's powerful because I think that the majority of the time, you know, it's easy to do the, the, the fill-in-the-blank thing. And, and, and whenever, I, whenever I think of what I do, you know, um, there is a lot of creativity in, in, in thinking through a lot of the, you know, the hardest part of speaking, I, I'll, I'll fight with anybody about this, is the transition part. 
like transitioning from piece to piece as it flows throughout the your message or the, or the mm. thing that you're doing. And if you don't practice that stuff and think creatively through how you're going to do that, it it's really difficult to accomplish that at a high level. So no, thank you, thank you for that. When I was when I interviewed some people who gave TED talks, uh, famous TED speakers, one person told me they had rehearsed for their TED talk 400 times. 400 times. It was a you know so 18 minutes. It took a couple of months, uh, and I, I don't know how many times a day she went through it, but it was about uh, 400 times that she went through. Not maybe not the whole thing, but certainly parts of it, and it became one of the top 10, I think top five. Uh, all-time most viewed TED Talks. But again, it it took, it took takes practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of practice, we want to get into kind of what, what does your personal preparation process look like from, from the moment of, you know, either getting, getting the assignment of like someone saying, hey, we want to contract you to give this presentation or coming up with an idea of your own, from, from that moment all the way through like the execution or... Uh, even how you evaluate a talk, kind of what walk us through what that process might look like for you. Sure, and I think this applies to anybody who's giving a presentation for anything, whether it's a paid keynote uh, like I do, or whether it is a uh, just a mission critical presentation that you're trying to pitch or pitching a new idea, you mm-hmm. know, with, with two slides in front of your boss. Uh, I think it's the same. The preparation that I take is first step, I want to learn about the audience. So step one, I want to know who I'm speaking to. And one of the questions that I ask is, uh, what's on their mind? <laughs> what are they What are they concerned about? What are their challenges? I, I, I want to understand the audience so that I meet them where they are. Uh, and I customize it. So that's that's a key word, customize. I customize presentations for that particular audience. If I know that they're engineers in Silicon Valley, I'm going to go a little bit more data heavy. If they're marketers, I'll probably go a little bit more you know, narrative heavy. Uh, but I'm going to use both uh, components, both data, information, and and. Uh, narrative for both audiences just depends on where I want to go heavier, right? It's so it's all about really understanding your audience first. That's the key. That's uh, customizing it. And I approach it as a journalist. If I have an audience that I have to speak to, and I'm not familiar with that particular industry or group, I do a lot of research ahead of time so that I can walk in and speak their language and know the terminology they use. And that applies that applies to all of your listeners. If you're if you walk into a client's office or a new company and you're not using the right terminology, uh, then that's a big knock against you. That's what people remember. I, I remember I recall and even job interviews. I recall somebody saying, "Do you know how many uh, interviews we get for St. Jude Medical Center? What people call it, St. Jude's." <laughs> and it's like, well, isn't it St. Jude's? Well, I, no. Look, look, take a look at our website. You know, it's a St. Jude uh, Hospital for Children. So, you know, little things like that. It's yeah. people pick up on this. If you don't understand their language, then they know you haven't done your homework. So it's kind of interesting. So the first thing is do your homework, customize your presentation, know your audience. And then step two is, as we've talked about, I do still, I'm not going to open a presentation deck. It's sketching out a storyline. What are the anecdotes that I'm going to deliver? What are the stories that might be relevant to this group? What is the information I need to deliver? Uh, And then I will take uh, 
often I will take an older presentation, something I've already done, because you can't reinvent the wheel every single time you talk about a particular topic. But I almost always, in fact, I always add new images or new stories or something that's customized for that particular audience. And then you practice. 400 times? No. But I'll give you a number that I'm comfortable with. If you have a mission critical or really important presentation that is important to your to your company or to your product or or to your uh, to your startup, I I practice at least ten times for the entire presentation, at least with no notes and going through the slides and knowing exactly what I'm gonna say, when I'm gonna start, how I'm gonna end, what am I gonna say about a particular slide? How am I gonna to talk through a story? I find that at least 10 times makes me feel very confident when I actually, when I deliver the presentation in real time. Mm -hmm. So what does, like, what does the evaluation process look like for you after you complete a speech? Do you go back and watch the video of it? Do you have other people coach you? What does that look like? I, I don't ask for a lot of, people will give you feedback and, and that's okay. I think now that you ask me, what is my post preparation or my, uh, after I do a presentation, I think the best thing I can do, and I don't do this all the time because it's not always possible. If there's video, Caleb, watch the video. Watch yourself on video. You'll catch, you'll catch yourself doing a lot of things that could be minor annoyances uh, or even the audio. And that's why I am a big proponent of taking a smartphone, taking video and putting it on a tripod uh, or setting it up in your office and practicing out loud and recording yourself. I gave a, pre I give a lot of keynotes. I give a lot of presentations and I gave one not too long ago in Florida and I watched myself on video because uh, someone had taken video and it wasn't even of the whole thing, but I was, you know, I'm a little ADD, right? So uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of hyper so, and I've got a ton of ideas. So I'm going in a million different directions, which is why I have to practice. Otherwise I can go in a lot of places, uh, which you can already tell by this podcast, right? I'm, I'm just going off into a lot of different directions. So I, I was pacing, going back and forth, back and forth and, and, and looking at the slides and then turning back to the audience and then going to one end and going to another. Oh, wow. That's really annoying. Uh, but I, those are the type of things that you don't, catch unless you see yourself on video. So I think that that's one of the best things you can do even before you give your presentation. Record yourself. Most people don't do that. Most people never, they rarely see themselves back on video and they'll catch a lot of little uh, habits, annoying habits that they do that they're not, they don't even realize. Mm -hmm. So you can pick up a lot of uh, body language stuff, the good and, and the bad from watching on video. What, what have you seen to be some helpful tips or things that help um, just improve body language as it can as it concerns presentations because sometimes our words can communicate one thing but our actions and our body language communicates another thing so what are some helpful things that help you with that this ties into practice this is why i believe that people need to practice and internalize their presentation because of a body language thing you need to make strong, effective eye contact with your listeners. Eye contact. And what is the biggest hurdle to doing eye contact is not knowing your material. And 
and using wordy text heavy slides. So most people turn to their slide and they turn away from the audience. The great speakers who I've written about, uh, who I who I watch and who I, I try to model are people who have internalized the content so well that they're delivering a presentation like it's a conversation. So they're having, they're making eye contact with you. Their delivery is very comfortable. Like they're having dinner with you uh, in a loud restaurant, you know, so they sort of have to turn up the volume a little bit and maybe they're more animated about a particular topic. Uh, but they've practiced it, and so they can make that eye contact. Most people, you know, they break that eye contact so often, they don't even know it. That's why they have to see themselves on on video. Uh, but it's, yeah, so eye contact is number one. And, and you can't make effective eye contact unless you are, uh, you've really internalized your presentation. Uh, and, and then, you know, the delivery, too which ties into body language a little bit. Uh, the, the delivery needs to, you, you don't feel like you can't use your hands. Uh, now I'm Italian, so it comes a little bit more naturally to me. But use your hands, smile, okay? When, there's even research that shows that when people smile, uh, it makes the listener or the audience smile back, right? <laughs> so, but most people are so immersed in their, in their information and they're a little nervous and they haven't practiced, so they don't, it's not natural. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not making eye contact and smiling and, and talking to you like it's a conversation. So one of the things that we we talked about this earlier was the importance of telling good stories. And so um, before before we get into some some tips for learning to how how to tell better stories, where do you go to find good stories? I find that to always be a struggle for me whenever I'm preparing for um, preparing for a speech or a presentation? Caleb, you have to look. <laughs> <laughs> and you have, you have to set aside that you can't find stories and just accept that stories are everywhere. There's mm -hmm. always a story. When I went to Northwestern, I got a, a master's degree from a journalism school at Northwestern. And I recall going on assignment, you know, because it was a very real life type of uh, program. And I went on assignment, came back with nothing because I said, well, there's nothing there. And my instructor, you know, very un-PC like back then, was, you know, just screamed at me, you know, yelled at me. And it was almost demeaning, right? And I think by today's standards, probably would be. Uh, but, you know, I had a thick skin. I... I I survived it. We became great friends. But he, I, he, man, he was yelling at me and the veins were bursting out of his head. And he said, Gallo, there's always a story. So, and that, that stuck with me. There is always a story, always. And, and so what I think, Caleb, is what I find, because I'm a journalist first, I will talk to companies and executives and find stories they don't even realize that there's a story there. There's great stories there. Mm. So can I give you and Todd one example? I think your yeah. listeners would appreciate this. So I was uh, speaking to a um, a start an entrepreneur who started a company from scratch and now has about 2,000 employees. It's in the gig economy. Uh, so companies will hire his firm to uh, hire temp workers, uh, you know, that type of thing. So it's in that gig economy temp space. But anyway, it's a very successful company. He's got locations all over the country. Uh, the, his particular company is really big into volunteer work. 
and giving back to the community. And he's very proud of you know, the, the, the numbers of uh, volunteer hours that his company has. So he sent me a little note and he just wanted to thank me for writing one of my books. And then he told me a story. And he told me a story in the letter. And real briefly, if I could put this into maybe 20 seconds, mm -hmm. uh, the story, I, I recall it as the boy on the bus story. His name is Bobby. And uh, Bobby and Bobby said that when he was in high school, he and his uh, brother were on a basketball team in high school, but they came from a very poor uh, farm working family, like a migrant farm working family, and they had very, very little money. Uh, the bus stopped after a basketball game. Everybody got off to go to a restaurant, and he and his brother stayed behind because they didn't have enough money. A One of the parents came back into the bus understood what was going on and uh, said, uh, Bobby, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you would let me buy dinner for you and your brother. And, th and then he said the key phrase, all you have to do is pay it forward someday for another young man in your life. Uh, <laughs> and that changed this young man's life. And this young man saw himself completely differently. He went on to college, being, being the first person in his family to go to college. Uh, then he started a very successful, what is now a successful company. And that is why, that is why that company is really into volunteer hours and giving back to the community. And so here, here's the kicker, Caleb. I asked him, uh, well, I'm sure you, I'm sure all your employees know that story. And you could imagine what he said. Oh, no, I've never told that story. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Because that, that is the reason why you do all these great things for the community. And he said, oh, okay. Yeah, he was, he's humble. He didn't, he didn't see how it connected. Well, now, uh, you know, fast forward two years after I met him, he tells the story all the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's 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 on his uh, website. It's all of his employees know it. He's uh, writing a book on it. He's uh, he gives it in public presentations. He's owned that story, and it has connected him to his audiences in very very profound ways. So I, that's just a good example of everyone has stories. It doesn't have to be you know, that kind of like hard luck type of story. Yeah. But there's, there's stories everywhere. I just don't think people are looking at it from the right perspective. So I want to go back to something that you said. You talked about how you use your journalistic uh, background and instincts to help find stories. So what, what exactly does that look like? Do you have like a certain like questions or is it just following your curiosity? What, what does that look like? It's being infinitely curious. Yeah. And I know that your audience is a real learn it all kind of culture. And I, and I love that. I, I, I think if you're a, like Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, he wrote a wonderful book called Hit Refresh. And in that book, he said, you've got to be a learn it all and not a know it all, especially in today's world. Uh, mm -hmm. So I have been intensely curious since I was in college. And like you and Todd, I like the idea of learning something and then sharing it with someone else. Uh, it, and that's why I got into journalism in the first place. And then I evolved my career to be more coaching and, and speaking and writing. Uh, but I think you need to f 
Yeah, you need to be curious first. Uh, and so I don't know, and you, you and Todd probably know this better than I do because you've talked to enough people now. I don't know if that curiosity is uh, ingrained in you. I don't know if that's part of your DNA or if you can, I think there's ways of building curiosity, but I've rarely found people who are as curious as I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm constantly asking people questions because I'm more curious about learning about them. And the more I learn, the better stories I get. So I, I ask a, a, a lot of questions. And I know that there are people who, who I meet every day. I mean, mm -hmm. business people, or if I walk into a restaurant, if I walk into somewhere, I'll ask these questions of people. And they think I'm doing like competitive research. They don't trust me. They don't, who is this guy? And why yeah. is he asking those questions? I'm just curious. I'm just curious. And, yeah. and but more often than not, I'm, I learn something that I end up using in a very, in another presentation or in my writing. Mm -hmm. Do you have any go-to questions that you like to ask people? I used to, okay, I'll, I'll tell you a question that I use when I do more formal workshops with senior executives because mm -hmm. it's really hard to pull out to extract good authentic information from executives especially in publicly traded companies because they're not always authentic it's here are my talking points i've got to stick to my messages stick to my talking points so here's one that that works really well um and it's a good thing to start asking about yourself too. So here's the question. I used to ask, tell me what you're passionate about. And that elicited some okay feedback and stories. But then I watched a presentation by Steve Jobs years ago, uh, the, one of his last public presentations, where he said, it's the intersection of liberal arts and technology that makes my heart sing. And I thought, though well, that's interesting, makes my heart sing. And I started asking that question, what makes your heart sing? Not just what are you excited about, because for some people it's making money. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's not very interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, is it no, what makes your heart sing? And more often than not, that will elicit a story, a very heartfelt story, maybe the boy on the bus type of story, yeah. uh, but it elicits these really incredible stories. So I, those are the type of questions I ask. What, what are you really passionate about? Okay, forget your talking points, forget the messaging, forget the features of your new product. What are you really passionate about? And then if that doesn't work, I'll go to that next level, that deeper Oprah type of level, right? What makes your heart sing? And sometimes I feel kind of silly asking it, but believe it or not, that always, it always elicits something really powerful. Mm -hmm. So kind of going back to what we were saying about uh, stories, what, what are some practical tips that, that you've learned that help you tell better stories and presentations? Uh, practice and refine stories. Okay, so uh, I'll give you an example. I just told a story about the boy on the bus, and that probably took, well, more than a minute, whereas that story could take about 30 seconds to tell powerfully and then get back into your presentation uh, because it's not my story, and I haven't practiced my, that story. Identify those key stories and then make sure that those stories are concise because what i find is people ramble 
and they and you know five minutes later you're asking yourself what are we still on the same story and what's your point what does that have to do with your presentation yeah uh, so that happens a lot and it happens to people like me because like i told you i'm a little add so i'm all over the map and i like to ramble and, I, and i'm connecting ideas from everywhere and every time you ask a question i'm off to a different point so when i'm when i'm structuring a presentation it can't be like this podcast you, you understand what i'm saying it, mm -hmm. it can't be just riffing off of whatever comes to mind and coming up with these stories out of the blue. I really have to had, have these stories practiced and refined so that I'm telling them concisely. I'm giving you just enough detail to make it authentic and then immediately tying it back into my larger purpose. Yeah. But you'll find that in those presentations where it's more narrative based, that's what people remember. They don't remember, not one audience member that I've ever talked to uh, when I'm working with executives on presentations. Now, one has ever said, I remember what your slide on number 32. You know, I don't, I, no one remembers a slide number. They don't remember a chart or a graph unless it's visually constructed and it's very interesting, but they almost always remember the stories. Yeah. How yeah. do you, how do you distinguish between knowing, okay, I need to take 30 seconds and tell a story here, or this story needs to take four or five minutes? Yeah. Um, if, if you've got an 18, if you've got a 20 minute presentation and you spend four or five minutes on a story, that's probably too long. So, <laughs> um, but I watch the Ted talks, you know, Brian Stevenson's stories take about 60 seconds to tell. Uh, so I, I don't think stories need to be that long. And remember, we're not all magnificent storytellers okay we're uh, most of your listeners all of us are just you know people who are working in different industries different things well, we're not the most practiced storytellers of all time i mean we're not out there giving political speeches 10 times a day uh, so don't over Oh, don't over communicate a storyline you know just <laughs> if you have an anecdote share an anecdote keep it short concise make it relevant to that particular uh, presentation but i i think uh, one tip that falls under this caleb is let's make sure to break up your stories a little bit uh, you can have a personal story so the boy on the bus would be a personal story uh, there's also case studies people want to hear about the other clients or customers or partners who you've worked with. Mm -hmm. So tell those stories as well and tell stories about your brand. I worked with uh, some financial advisors recently. Uh, so they have stories about their, their clients, okay? And uh, maybe a client who did not take their advice and then got into financial trouble. That's, that's a story too. That's a good uh, lesson to be learned. So that's a case study but also about the larger brand that they're affiliated with. Why did they choose to hang their hat with that particular institution, which is kind of like a globally famous bank? Uh, why that institution versus another institution? There was a, there's a good reason for it. Okay, so those are stories about the brand. You could tell personal, you could tell case studies, you could tell brand stories, but if you go into a presentation and you've just opened your deck and filled out your bullet points, you'll lose people because that's, that's not narrative-based. You see, the, you understand the difference, mm -hmm. right? There's bullet point-based, information-based, and narrative-based. Narrative-based is very different. That's what we're talking about here, the creative approach to communicating your message. Sure. Carmine, in, in your latest book, uh, you talk about 
the the one brain hack, this this thing that that Steve Jobs, Leonardo da Vinci, and Picasso, which, which are all three incredible, incredibly renowned people, they they use this this thing to unlock their best ideas or to really be able to unlock their creativity. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think that's a fascinating conversation. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The book is called Five Stars, and it's a communication book. It's called Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great. And I think it applies to your listeners because uh, five stars is a metaphor that I created or I, I pulled from speaking to executives who run some of the world's most admired brands like Apple or luxury uh, resorts and hotels that are five-star resorts. The difference between average and great tends to be emotion, that emotional connection with your audience or your guests or your, your customers. So that's, what I, that's the metaphor I use, five stars. And what I realize is that five-star persuaders, people who really create these emotional connections, like Steve Jobs, uh, and I go back to Steve Jobs because he, he really was one of the great corporate business communicators of all time. They were, they're very creative. This whole concept, what we're talking about today, their, their stories, their presentations are very creative. Their brands are creative. And getting to your question, Todd, about what is the simple brain hack, here's how I arrived at the brain hack, and then I'll tell you what it is. Um, upon his death, uh, Steve Jobs, they someone gave an interview or they had an interview with Larry Ellison, the billionaire uh, CEO of Oracle. He was best friends with Steve Jobs. And he said, oh, Steve Jobs was our Picasso. And I didn't, I didn't quite understand what that meant because I'm not an art aficionado. I don't understand that world, but I, I'm curious, like we've talked about. So I, I, I found one of the world's most prominent Picasso experts. <laughs> and I had talked to him and I said, what does that mean, sir? And he said, oh, well, that's because Picasso would take art uh, elements from completely different fields and apply it to the same canvas, which was unheard of at that time. Ah, so he had like an African influence and a European influence, and he put it together on one canvas. Uh, this was scandalous, apparently, in Picasso's time in the art world. Well, that's what Steve Jobs did. So Steve Jobs never created a... Uh, products that were from the computer world he always looked outside of the computer world for inspiration and what you, there's so many famous stories but one of the fun most famous stories which is true <clears throat> it's a true story that i've learned later uh the apple II. well the first apple computer was a, a, a monolith it was this huge machine that was horizontal kind of took up your whole desk space because that's what workstations look like back then and so he was uh, he said well we need to create a computer that's more for the masses for the everyday person that they would have in their kitchen well why don't i go to the kitchen aisle at a department store I forgot the department store but he went into a could have been sears or someplace went into the department store and found the cuisinarts you know which are vertically vertical and and so the the apple II and then the macintosh those are vertical computers they're not horizontal spread out across your whole desk because he wanted something that looked like you could put it in a kitchen <laughs> so he's connecting ideas from completely outside of his industry and there are many examples of how steve jobs did that in his product design and that's why it's a creative hack 
if you want to be more creative, don't just look inside your industry because that's very limiting. Don't look inside your field. Look outside of your field for ideas. I think that there's tons of, of ways that that, that – applies not only to speaking but also to writing things that that you you do both of um how how is it that that you've been able to you know be be a, a person who's giving keynotes and the things that you've talked about but also have been a prolific writer how, how do you continue what are things that you maybe you're you're transferring from one to the other so things that work great for you as you're you know um giving these these talks but also things that are helping you to to to, to be able to write write well what are the things that 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 are maybe transferring between the two of them that, that work well, well yeah i'll tell you the the one habit that most people uh don't do and it's free pretty much and it's widely available for everybody most people don't read a lot of books and they don't read the the uh, if, uh what did i hear the average american reads something like four books a year uh, well, you know, you know, Bill Gates reads 50 books a year. Okay, so there, there's a difference there. And Bill and Bill Gates, when you watch, if you go to his Gates notes, he's got his own blog. The way he communicates ideas is actually is very creative, very very creative. And and he, I think he's the one who first uh, quoted the Leonardo book about creativity. Okay, mm -hmm. now, he didn't really focus on what I just told you, but he quoted the Leonardo book, Walter Isaacson's book on creativity, which sparked my imagination. I said, well, let me read that and see what the parallels are. Uh, and there were parallels. So again, it's Leonardo uh, creativity. Why would a guy like me who talks to executives about uh, communicating their complex products more simply, why, what can I learn from a book on Picasso or Leonardo da Vinci? What does that have to do with it? But again, it's it's that exploring ideas outside of of your particular field. What's the best way of getting insight into all of these people is through reading books. And yet, mm -hmm. when I give presentations, Todd, I'll mention a particular, even a best-selling business book or a best-selling book that I that is a nonfiction book that I would assume most people in that audience have read. I have, I'll ask for a raise of hands and. Like nobody does at hundreds of people, nobody will raise their hand, maybe one. So what that tells me is that even these, you know, popular books or that you think are popular uh, still are not read by a lot of people. So I think there's plenty of room there to be more of a reader uh, and read popular nonfiction, especially those books that are reviewed in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. That's where I tend to get my ideas from. And I'll I'll read those books. I, I'm reading one that completely out of my field, never would have read it. Um, it's about Louisa May Alcott, the author of Little Women. Mm -hmm. Well, I, why would I read a book like that? Because I read a review of that particular book. It's called uh, Louisa in the Civil War. Didn't know any of this. So uh, Louisa May Alcott was uh, a nurse in the Civil War. And it was through that experience that she got her best ideas that inspired her to be a great writer. Mm -hmm. What? How did that? How did that happen? Right. So of course I'm reading that book and I learned something interesting, and I'll probably pop it into a keynote or a, a presentation somewhere, or I'll write about it. And that is, you know, again, it's creative. It's creative, but I'm I'm actively trying to be creative by exploring ideas from these people who 
are experts in different fields and and you can go to a library. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you know, I, I download Kindle books. Sometimes I get sent them. A lot of people listen to audiobooks now. Those are very popular. Um, but it's, it's a simple tool that's at your disposal. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the most successful leaders I've ever met, almost to a person, read a lot of books, much more so than the employees who work for them. Yeah. It's just an observation I've made. Yeah. So, Carmine, before we let you go, we always have uh, quick questions that we always ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what's one thing that's helping you either personally or professionally right now? It's the uh, travel. Uh, travel, because now everything builds on one thing or another. Uh, so I've been to uh, the Middle East. I've been to Dubai and Abu Dhabi and uh, I, to Thailand and Asia. So now, because I get to speak and write, I'm, I get this incredible opportunity to visit places and speak to people who I otherwise would never have gone to, right? I never would have gone to these places on my own or speaking to different companies and different cultures. The more I learn about globalization, and I, and I wrote about this in Five Stars, the more I learn about globalization, I can help people with those communication tools that will set them apart in any country, in any culture. So that, that's the one thing that's really helping me now. And I've, I've become a big advocate. Take more time off. Get out of your comfort zone and go somewhere you've never gone to. <laughs> Talk mm -hmm. to somebody you've never spoken to before. You'll learn a lot. Sure. What advice would you give to somebody who's just eager to learn? I've already given it. You got to read more than average. Yep. Read more than average. I read about 75 books a year. Bill Gates reads 50. Uh, so how many business books or nonfiction books. I'm focusing on nonfiction because there's more mm -hmm. of a business audience. How many have you read in the last year? Uh, and, you know, so that, that helps you become more creative because then I can have a conversation with anybody now, mm -hmm. which is interesting. I can have a conversation with anybody because you give me a topic or I start talking to somebody, I can pull a book from my, my uh, you know, mental library and say, oh, that reminds me of X, Y, Z. And then they think you're they think you're more interesting than you actually are, right? <laughs> yeah. If you could have everybody learn one thing, now that could be roasting the perfect marshmallow or something that's highly tactical and, and actually important to the conversation we've been having. What would that one thing be? Oh, okay. So I just changed my mind. Um, I changed my mind I, as I was thinking about my answer, which is really weird. Okay. So I'm going to cheat. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you my original answer. My, my original uh, answer was to, if there's one thing that'll change your career, it's to be more persuasive. Uh, and that's why I wrote five stars. That's why I write my books. Uh, there is no question that people in their 20s and 30s, 20s and 30s who want to elevate their careers and want to become uh, great leaders, they need to be more persuasive. That is the fundamental skill that will get you from average or good in your career to stand out and exceptional. Especially, and it might sound a little counterintuitive, guys, but especially in this age of AI and digitization and artificial intelligence and, and machine learning and big data, uh, it's that human rapport 
that helps people stand out. And if you don't have it, then it's very easy to get lost in the noise and get lost in the shuffle. Uh, um, so people who are better communicators, better speakers, more persuasive, do tend to stand out. Uh, so that's my first answer. I think that's my best answer. But if I can change it, there's one more thing I'd like to add, Todd. And that is because I am exposed to companies in a wide range of fields every single week from energy to to politics, actually, because uh, there's politicians who call me uh, to healthcare. Uh, because I'm exposed to so many companies and topics and ideas, I can say confidently that every topic is much more complicated than fits in a Facebook post or fits in a Twitter post. Everything is much more complicated than you think. And so in order to be a more persuasive person, you need to understand all the ramifications. You have to get past some of your own biases uh, because everything we do is is really aimed at uh, every everything we say, everything we think go is filtered through biases. So you really need to be extra careful and go beyond that and realize I may not have all the answers. I may not be as knowledgeable as I think I am. And psychologists have found that. Psychologists have found that all of us think we're smarter than we are about almost everything, uh, and we're not. So you need to. Not only be able to learn it all, keep that open mind, um, but ask ask questions and not just assume that you know it all. Uh, but that that fits into the first yep. part of the answer, which is in order to be more persuasive, uh, you need to be a learn it all and not a know it all. So finally, last question: What are you learning right now? Uh, Caleb, I didn't quite get that. What is that? What are you learning right now? What am I learning, or what am I reading? Both. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I, I am reading more history books, mm -hmm. and and that's those are my key learnings right now. There is a book that I'm going to recommend to all of your listeners that's probably not on their radar. Uh, it was a best-selling book in 2018 for many many months, and it's written by Doris Kearns Goodwin a famous Pulitzer Prize winning historian. And Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote a book called Leadership. Leadership in Turbulent Times is sort of the headline, but it has to do with, with transformative presidents like Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Roosevelt, um, and Teddy Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson. I think those are the four that she focused on, but you would be surprised at how much communication is in that book. And in fact, Doris Kearns Goodwin herself said that one of the things that surprised her was that storytelling is one of the ingredients that made these presidents great. Abraham Lincoln was a great storyteller, but he worked at it. So here's a history book about transformative leaders that you wouldn't think applies to you as a business professional or as an aspiring leader but actually really does. It has a lot of great tips and information on what makes a great leader great. They're not born, they're made. They've, they grew into great leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of it had to do with communication style. Yeah. Well, Carmine, uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, if people wanna find out just more about you, if they wanna buy your books, wherever, where can they find you at? 
all the books that I've written recently from Talk Like Ted to The Storyteller's Secret to Five Stars are all available on all the formats. So they're hardcover, paperback, audiobook. Audible is very popular now. Uh, or Kindle. So they can go onto Amazon or wherever uh, they buy their books or download their audiobooks and find my books if you just remember my name. So if you just remember a good Italian name like Carmine Gallo, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me. Just go to CarmineGallo.com. Follow me on social media at Carmine Gallo. So I'm pretty easy to find if you can just remember the uh, the Italian name. Great. Well, thanks so much today for spending time with uh, with us as well as our listeners. Well, Caleb and Todd, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, I really, really loved uh, doing that interview, and I hope that you found value in it. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, I'm going to remind you again, hit the subscribe button. It's totally free, and it's the best way to never miss another episode. Um, that would be great. Also, remember, leave a rating, write a review, five-star preferable. That would be awesome. I would appreciate it. Um, you would be an awesome, awesome person for forever in my mind. Um, so go do that. And then find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those places. Also, make sure and join our Facebook group. There's going to be a link to that in the show notes. You're not going to want to miss that. That's a place where we're going to bring you premium content that you're not going to get anywhere else. It's the it's us curating things. There's going to be PDF guides of books and, and how to learn things quickly. All that stuff. You're not going to want to miss that. There's going to be some webinars. We're going to bring some cool people on and do some stuff please 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 go and sign up subscribe or whatever whatever you do i don't know whatever you do caleb will caleb will tell you in the show notes go do that um and then like i said before you're gonna want to follow us on our social media channels because hey that's where we do some fun stuff go do that Whew. all right well that's a podcast um so I'm going to sign off and I'm going to say until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all. <laughs>